He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them, the one who would lean back against Jesus at the supper, and asked, Lord, who is the one who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Good morning, church. We're going to jump into this text in just a moment. If, uh, if you're new to the Life Versus series, well, we're new to it as well because this is only the second week. So this is the second installment in the Life Versus series. And the goal behind it is to give us opportunities to hear stories of members of this faith family who have been changed by the truth of God's word. That's what this is all about. Matter of fact, the text that's being read is read by the person who said, this is a life verse, that God met me in this passage. And so Andy Underwood was just reading that text because he submitted his story, and that's in your worship guide. So make sure before the day is done, you read the story in the worship guide, and you're gonna see the connection to what we're studying here in God's word. But we received, we collected lots and lots of stories, different people, different age groups, different backgrounds sent us verses from all over the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, First Chronicles, Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Daniel, Jonah, Habakkuk, Zechariah, Old Testament text. We received numbers in many of those different books. Matthew, Mark, John, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 2 Timothy, Titus, Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, Revelation. Loads and loads of passages with with stories stapled to them of how God stepped off the pages of his word and brought change. And so what I hope is the result, the upshot of week after week of studying these life verses is is the truth that, and I said this last week, that God's word is living and it's active and it brings change and it brings life where there was death and it brings hope where there was despair and freedom where there was bondage, all kinds of change that's brought to bear on our souls by his spirit. In other words, I hope the subtext underneath every Sunday is you get into this word and it will change your life. That's what the Life First series is all about. And so God met our friend Andy in this passage. And again, you can read that story in the worship guide. But here's the broader context of the passage. If you've got your Bible open, look at verse 18. We're gonna back up to that and just see what leads into it. So Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking to Peter. He says this, truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. After saying this, he told him, follow me. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them, the one who would lead him back against Jesus at the supper and asked, Lord, who was the one that's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, 
follow me. Many years ago, a, a little book came out with a recommended method for sharing the good news of Jesus with people who hadn't responded to Jesus, and the, the approach was called the four spiritual laws. And the first statement of the four spiritual laws is probably the best known, and it goes this way. Maybe you can finish it. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Anybody familiar with that? Anybody heard that? That's the first of the four spiritual laws. It's certainly not the whole message of the gospel, but then again, in fairness, it's only the first of the four statements. So there are three more coming after that. I'm not gonna take the time to try to defend it. I'm certainly not gonna throw the statement under the bus, and I'm not gonna do that because that statement was used by God to save a good friend of mine a close friend of mine, and his heart was opened to Christ when he heard that statement. So he had a, a teacher when he was in high school, and, uh, and this teacher became a mentor to my friend when my friend was walking through a very difficult season in his life, and his teacher looked him in the eye and he said, God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And the Spirit opened my friend's heart to hear the story of the gospel and to respond to Jesus. And the man who shared the gospel with my friend, I've got a picture of him. So this, this is Frank and Annette Loria, and they're dear friends of ours and have been for many, many years. And, and the person that he shared the gospel with has been his pastor for over 20 years now. And it's the church that I left in moving here. His name is Keith. And Frank and Annette are the most contagious Christians I've ever known. They share the gospel with everyone. They are, they are living examples. They radiate the joy of Jesus and so many people. It's going to be an awesome thing to go to heaven and to be frank and to look around and see the impact of a life well lived and the joy of sharing good news. And Keith's life was radically changed by Jesus Christ. God's wonderful plan for his life didn't mean he got heaven on earth. He walked through a lot of difficult experiences. I'm not gonna walk them out or talk about some of the harder realities that he experienced in years to come. But if Keith were standing here, he wouldn't bat an eye to say it was true. God's love is great and his plan is wonderful beyond words. And he would say his plan is wonderful not because heaven came to earth and everything became awesome in my circumstantial life. He would say because it's wonderful because when I came to faith in Jesus, I got Jesus. That's what puts the wonderful in the plan that God has for us. We get Jesus. So, so we look at this life verse and I hope that we're gonna see two vital expressions of the life of faith. And the first is this. Embrace the cost of discipleship. Embrace the cost of discipleship. You know, a relationship with Jesus involves two acts of rescue, at least two acts of rescue. He saves me from my sin. That's fundamental. He, he bears God's judgment against my sin in my place on the cross. So he, he saves me from my sin, but second, and this is also so important, he saves me from my life plan. He saves me from me. And in that way, if you think about it, there are there are at least two ways that we can say no to Jesus Christ. We can say, no, I don't need the savior part. I've kind of got that down. We'd love to know things about 
what you want for me, but I don't need the savior aspect. I don't need forgiveness. I'm living a moral life. I'm a pretty good person. Or on the other hand, we could say, I'll take all the forgiveness you got up there, but I don't need the lordship aspect. You know, that, that's the part. You know, I hear you say that you love me and you have a wonderful plan for my life. Here's the thing. I also love me and I also have a wonderful plan for my life, right? So there's the snag. Now, if our plans agree, I mean, maybe we could work out a merger or something. I mean, I think you're gonna like what I've drawn up here. This is a, there's a good plan in place for my life moving forward. But, but no, look, to say yes, when you read the New Testament, to say yes to Jesus is to ask him to forgive and to hand him the keys simultaneously. It's yes, Savior, bring all your saving, and yes, Lord, lead me. Tell me where to go. Give me my marching orders. It's both it's a package situation. You know, the plan that you, you draw up for your life can get pretty detailed, right? Even as a child, you might be thinking or dreaming about the future and, and probably all around this room, if you did that in younger ages, you're, you're thinking through the same categories everybody else did. What do you wanna do in life when you grow up, right? And the younger you are, the, the wilder it is. I wanna, I wanna be an astronaut in space, I wanna be you know, a major league pitcher, whatever, and it gets a little bit more realistic the older we get, right? But you're thinking about what do you wanna do in life? You're thinking about who you wanna do life with. You're thinking about the quality of the life that you want. I want a certain income, I want a certain living situation, I want certain proximity to good coffee, right? Depending on what your values are, what your priorities are, that's how you're thinking it through. But, but friend, the day that you came to faith, the day that someone comes to faith is, is a day of, of great joy and it's a, it's a day of great discovery. And one of the things that you discover the day you believe is my life plan won't give me the things that matter the most. My life plan won't give me the things that matter the most. When you put your faith in Jesus, you toss your detailed life plan and you take his. And his is a lot easier to remember because it's only two words, follow me. That's how uncomplicated the life plan is that Jesus gives to those who would come after him. Follow me, what does it mean to follow Jesus? This is in your notes, it means Jesus provides the pattern for the Christian life. He provides the pattern for the Christian life. So what do you see Jesus doing when you read the Gospels? You see him laying down the path that they're gonna walk in as well. So Jesus, for example, he washes his disciples' feet like a servant. And then what does he say? He says, anyone, anyone who wants to be great must become what? A servant. So this isn't just something I'm doing. If you're following me, you're washing feet too. Towels and bowls are over there. You're washing feet. You're a servant. Right? Jesus experiences pushback, hostility, persecution from the world. And what does he say? You're next. Why? Because you're right behind me. I'm headed into it and you're standing right behind me walking forward, it's coming for you. Jesus said, these are his words, John 15, 20. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Why? Because you're stepping in the footsteps that I've laid out right in front of you. Jesus is headed to the cross. He says, I'm gonna suffer, I'm gonna die. And what does he tell his disciples? He said, you wanna come after me? You wanna keep walking? You take up your own cross. You die daily. You follow me. Jesus is, is constantly clarifying that the good life isn't a self-serving life of comfort and ease. 
It's not the good life. It's what we naturally think the good life is. He says, it's not. He says, the good life is discovered on the road of self-sacrificing love toward God and others. That's the actual best case scenario here in this world. Self-sacrificing love toward God and others. That's where the gold is. Right, and that, that is where the conflicts arise with, with Peter. You read through the Gospels and what do you see? You see Peter's life plan getting in the way all over the place. Right, Peter is one of those guys who doesn't just have his own life itinerary, but he's, he's starting to draw one up for those around him. Right, he's one of those people. You might have friends who are like that, who sort of, they draw up their own life plan and they're like, oh, what are you doing over there? You know, they, they start drawing up one. I'm gonna, just going to take the time. You don't have to ask me. It's fine. Right? They draw up time. They take up time to draw up a life plan for those around them. Right? Jesus says, for example, here's where Peter's life plan gets in the way. Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet. Peter says, actually, I took the trouble to, to draw up a job description for Messiah, and it doesn't involve foot washing. So you're welcome. Right? You, can ha- you can hand that towel and that bowl to, to someone else, and they can do that for us. Don't hand it to me, I mean, but hand it to somebody else, but you don't have to do that. It's not in the job description I drew up for Messiah. Jesus says, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. Peter says, uh, no, you're not. It's not the plan I have for you, right? I love you and I have a wonderful plan for your life, Jesus, and here's, here's, my, here's my life plan, the way I've drawn it up for you. You get to, it's somewhere in here, right? Third paragraph, here it is. You get to take over Rome. That's, that's how this thing goes down, which is why I'm gonna cut off that soldier's ear. You're gonna hop in the getaway car behind the bushes, right? That's the way this is gonna look. You're not gonna die today. That's not how this happens. And unfortunately, this encounter with Jesus in John 21 isn't the end of these Peter-like moments. There are Peterisms in the book of Acts. There are Peterisms in Galatians. Peter, in Acts chapter 10, sheet comes down. Who sent the sheet down? God sent the sheet down. It's a vision and it says, eat everything on this sheet. What does Peter say? He doesn't say, pass me the fork, when do we start? He says, there's no way I'm gonna eat that. Do you know how long it took me to get this holy? There's no way I'm gonna eat all that unholy stuff. Not in my life plan. His plan gets in the way. But look, Jesus lays down a pattern and he says it, he's drumming it into Peter's ears and his disciples' ears, and he's saying things like, and he says this over and over in different ways, I am not here to do my own will. I don't know how to make that more clear. I'm not here to do my own will. I'm here to do deeply transformative things in the midst of a very broken world. And if you wanna come after me, you're gonna die. You're gonna take up your cross, you're gonna deny yourself, and you're gonna follow after me. That's what this looks like. I'm laying down the path, you're walking right after me. Look, God's God's wonderful plan for Peter's life doesn't mean heaven on earth. It doesn't mean comfort and ease. The wonder of it is that Jesus says, come with me. That's the wonder, we get to do this with Jesus. Now you just think about this. I, I think we can get on Peter's case, but in fairness, and can't you sympathize with this guy? He's just heard he's going to die. He's just heard he's not just gonna die, he's gonna stretch out his hands, and John says he's saying that to indicate the manner in which he would die. He's gonna be crucified. He just heard this, 
We can give him some grace. We can give him some slack, right? You look at that in verse 18. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. So there's a semblance of autonomy, right? But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. In other words, Jesus is saying, Peter, before we're done here, I'm going to teach you the art of dying with your eyes on me. I'm not just going to teach you how to live. I'm going to teach you how to lay it down. I'm going to teach you how to die. Jesus provides the pattern for the Christian life. Second, Jesus teaches us how to live and how to die. Peter, he understands the whole strength gig. He gets that. He's an extremely strong guy. He just pulled, in verse 11, just pulled a net full of fish, 153 fish, onto the shore by himself, right? Sort of a CrossFit exercise going on on the beach. And Peter's doing it by himself. He's pulling the net ashore. So Peter, he understands, he's experienced the thrill of strength. And Jesus is essentially saying to him, before we're done here, I'm gonna teach you how to boast in weakness. I'm gonna teach you the other side of this, right? In John chapter 18, Peter ran from the battle and he went self-preservation mode and he denied Christ, warming his hands by the charcoal fire, right? The girl's asking him, I thought you knew him. He's like, no, promise, never seen him before in my life. He denies him three times. That just happened two chapters ago. And Jesus is saying here, Peter, you're, you're gonna be battle tested before this thing is over. You're gonna be battle ready when this is over. Again, the broader context, if you go back to verse 15, is this, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me more than these? You've always beat your chest and said you were more in it, more all in for me than anybody else. You still think that you love me more than everybody else does? Are you still comparing yourself against others? So this moment, friends, from verse 15 through our text right here, it's not just restoration. It's not just Peter and Jesus sort of hugging it out. There's something deeper that's going on here. This is Jesus giving Peter a mission directive. He's telling Peter, this is how you're gonna live. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Verse 15 through 17 is this is how you're gonna live. Verse 18 is this is how you're gonna die. Hands outstretched, someone taking you somewhere you don't wanna go. And again, John tells us, Jesus said this to indicate by what kind of death Peter, I love these words, would glorify God. By what kind of death Peter would glorify God. It's sobering as it is to talk about death. It should also be deeply, deeply consoling to people who trust in Christ that you will Glorify God in your death. Your death as a Christian will bring glory to God. The Apostle Paul said some shocking words. He said this in Romans 14, 8. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Either way, however you shake, shake it, if we live or if we die, we're his. Look, only, only the Holy Spirit can plant God's promises so deeply in our souls that we can say crazy things like that. If I live, it's to him. If I die, it's to him. Either way, I'm his. You put it another way. 
It's easy to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus in a season where his life plan looks a lot like the one you drew up for yourself. But will we sing the song when our life plans look different? I love the way Russ Moore put it. He said, it's easy to sing there's power in the blood when we're not bleeding. The Christian, you can trust the Savior with whatever happens tomorrow, with whatever happens next. Hear me, every step of the journey that you're on in this life is foreknown by Christ. Every step from beginning to end, it's foreseen, it's arranged by one who loves you greatly, one who's too wise to make mistakes. That's, that's the Jesus we're following, that's the Jesus that we serve. So two expressions of faith in Jesus are embrace the cost of discipleship and two, avoid the trap of comparison. Avoid the trap of comparison and how easy that is for us. We do it so instinctively, so naturally. I remember when... Um, Years ago when I discovered something about my next door neighbor, this isn't my current next door neighbor, it is a, is a previous next door neighbor. I, I can't imagine how this came up in conversation, but his wife, Jeanette, told us that uh, her husband's night routine was to watch TV in his underwear eating Cheetos. And uh, she went on to add, much to our dismay, that his Undies also served or doubled as a napkin um, for his Cheeto fingers. This is the ultimate TMI conversation. I'm thinking, how, how did we get into this? So this is a mental image. I don't know what to do with this. I, I, don't, I don't want any of this, right? And the reason I remember that conversation so well is because as I heard that description of my next door neighbor, Frank, I thought to myself, that seals it. I'm better than Frank, right? I, <laughs> I, I mean, but for the grace of God, I know I'm capable of such practices. But for now, I'm just straight up better than Frank is, right? This, this stuff is so easy, it comes so natural, right? Obviously that is a really silly example, but it throws light on a common practice that isn't so silly. It's in your notes, realize the problem, we measure ourselves against others. You know, once Peter finds out where his life is headed, First thing he wants is, what's in your fortune cookie? Hey, read yours. Right, he wants to know, where is everybody else's life going? John's standing right behind us. Let's talk about John. Where's his life headed? Look, this same Peter standing in John chapter 21, you check him out 35 years later, he's writing the epistle, 1 Peter, and he says this in chapter two, verse one. This is an older Peter. He'll be dead soon. He says, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, here it is, envy, and all slander. You think about that list, that stuff keeps Facebook and Twitter in business. Zuckerberg will lose the house if we take 1 Peter 2 verse one seriously and there's no envy, no slander, no deceit and hypocrisy. I read this quote in a book I was reading earlier this year by Tony Reinke. He says this, Facebook is the CNN of envy. A kind of 24-7 news cycle of who's cool, who's not, who's up and who's down. You crawl into bed and you grab your phone. You start scrolling through your Instagram account. Here's what you find. Everybody's marriage is awesome. Their kids are incredible. They're counting money. <laughs> 
and they don't struggle at all. There's no pain, there's no sorrow, and here you are in your trial. You ate a whole gallon of ice cream watching a series on Netflix. <laughs> How real is that? You start to resent them. You start to grow in anger against them. Really? Me, Lord, I'm enduring this trial? What about them? And so back in John chapter 21, Peter has been restored. Jesus says, this is your mission in life. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And at some point in John 21, the scene changes. It changes from all these guys standing around this charcoal fire where Jesus is cooking and everybody's eating. And at some point, they leave that behind and now Peter and Jesus are walking alone down the beach. And you see that implied in verse 20. So Peter turned around and saw the disciple Jesus loved following them. So we're not just standing there eating, now we're walking and it's Peter and Jesus and there's someone standing or walking closely behind them and it's John. And, and Peter's processing this sobering news, your hands will be stretched out, you'll be crucified, you'll be martyred for your faith and he turns around and there's John. And he says, what about him? What, what's your, what's the master plan for John. Look, you think about the hard days in your life, you think about the days where you get to hear heavy news that you weren't necessarily prepared for, and for some in our faith family, I know this was that week. We're aware of some of the things that have been going on in members' lives this week. It's been a heavy, heavy week of news for some in our faith family. Aren't those the days where we're most tempted to trade lives with someone else? Hey, can we, can we take off our shoes and can we, can we switch? Right, where we look and we, we look around us and we say, I, I wish I could have his or her life or gifts or personality or set of relationships or talent. Right, but these words come to Jesus and they, rather they come to, to Peter from Jesus and they come as an act of rescue. He is saving Peter from Peter's life plan. Author John Piper says this about this passage. These blunt words from Jesus are liberating from the depressing bondage of fatal comparing. And then he takes you into his own world, book after book, conference after conference, telling me how to succeed, and all of them quietly delivering the message that I am not making it, writes one John Piper. So here's the clear call. Remember the call. Two words, follow me. Follow me. And that's how this became a life verse for our friend. Jesus saved Andy from his life plan. Jesus opened Andy's eyes to see a bigger picture, what matters the most. He, he opened his eyes so that he could give up the illusion of control. Stop white knuckling where you are. Look up, look out, see me here. So, so how do we take this home? Three truths to take home. Number one, the road will not be easy. The road will not be easy. Again, this same Peter, 35 years later, looks out at a church full of people who were suffering and he says, beloved brothers and sisters, don't be surprised by the fiery trial that you're experiencing as though something strange were happening. We knew there would be tribulation and pain. Why? Because we're walking in the footsteps of Jesus. 
We're following after him. He laid down the pattern for us. It's the cross and then the crown is behind it. It's on the far side of that. If I can use an imperfect analogy, my, my boys and I, some years ago, were invited to, to do paintball with some friends and it was the first time I had ever played. And somebody told me, if you play this right, you will get shot. If you don't just kind of hide behind that area over there in the corner and just pick people off, you're gonna get shot. At some point today, it's gonna happen. And so the first round, I played hesitant. I found that corner. <laughs> I found that spot and I was just trying to pick people off from where I was until it happened. In the first round, it finally happened. I got shot in the mask and in the side of the neck within a few seconds, two, ta-ta, just got hit both times. And here's the weird thing. It cured me, right? All I needed in order to throw myself fully into the game was to get shot in the neck and in the mask, and then I was all in. Who, who could have predicted that would be the thing that set me free? Getting shot set me free <laughs> to actually enjoy and play the game. There's a sense in which I think uh, the prediction of Peter's death sets Peter free. It's, it's Jesus saying, Peter, you're not gonna duck around this. There is no place to hide. End of the story, your hands outstretched, glorifying God in your death. It will happen. Your exit will be excruciating. You can't avoid it. You can't tiptoe around it. This is happening. And you watch Peter after John chapter 21, and in a weird way, he's cured. He's moving in the direction, right? He's moving in the direction of people, danger, proclaiming a gospel that'll get him killed, right? He, why? Because he knows comfort and ease are not gonna be your story. That's, it's not gonna happen. You're not gonna avoid hardship and pain. So what does he do? Charges into battle. It's changed him on the inside. It has tweaked the man. Jesus lays down this pattern. And he says, follow me. Follow me. I think one of the reasons the prosperity gospel thrives, you know, the gospel, the message that teaches that if you put your faith in Jesus, your health will be great, you'll get more and more money, the ball's always bouncing in your direction, the promotion's practically yours, it's just a matter of time, right? When we hear that message that you put your trust in Jesus, everything goes swimmingly well for the rest of your life, I think that message thrives because we've fallen in love with one aspect of the life of Jesus in the Gospels. We love the Jesus that wins. We, we love heal the sick Jesus, we love raise the dead Jesus, change the world Jesus, empty tomb Jesus, bring us more empty tomb, raise the dead Jesus. But, but then there's this other side. There's this, there's a man of sorrows Jesus walking through the pages of the Gospels. There's tired, hungry, homeless Jesus. There's can't lift his own cross Jesus. There's pinned up and can't breathe Jesus. That's the real Jesus. Walking the path of suffering and self-sacrificing love, devoted to his Father. In other words, we, we gravitate toward aspects of Jesus' life that match my life plan, which is why we need to be saved from our sin and saved from my life plan. We're called to follow. And Jesus says, trust me, trust me on this. It will be worth it in the end. It'll be worth it in the end. And we can believe that, why? Because we know the message and the story of the gospel. We know this same Jesus who says, follow me through the path of suffering 
all the way to the end. That's the Jesus who came and died for you. That's the Jesus who suffered in your place on the cross and bore the penalty you and I deserved in order to make us right with God. That's the Jesus we follow. And so we can rest assured that his plan for your life isn't to ruin you. That would make no sense. He died for you. Jesus' wonderful plan for your life is this. He redeems us. He, he takes, he says, give me that. Give me that, your sin. Give that to me. Your guilt, your shame. Put that right here. I'll take your punishment to the grave. Right? If we stop there, that's a great life plan. That's a wonderful plan for your life. You redeemed you forgiven of all your transgressions and then you keep reading and you find out, wait, what? He's gonna usher us into a future kingdom? Pleasures evermore at God's right hand, a feast and a wedding, new heavens and new earth? It's awesome. And then we hear Jesus say to us to assure our souls in the midst of walking the Calvary Road and he says, meanwhile, right here on this Calvary Road, I'm gonna shape you into a kind of people and you're gonna be a people marked by humility and justice and sincerity and godliness and servanthood and courage and compassion. And those things don't come through a life of ease. They come on the far side of pain. They come on the Calvary road of self-sacrificing love. That's how I'm gonna take you there. You're gonna be a new kind of person. The road will not be easy too. The call is total loyalty to Jesus total loyalty to Jesus. The first call on your life is to follow Christ. Everything else pales in comparison. That is your mission directive. Follow Jesus. Yesterday I heard on the radio a fascinating story about Frank Borman. You might not know the name Frank Borman. I didn't know it until yesterday who led, who's the commander of the Apollo 8 mission in the 1960s. And his psychiatric or, uh, evaluator before the mission began, she evaluated him and she said, she called him, quote, the most uncomplicated man she had ever spoken to. And he took that as a compliment, by the way, in the interview. He loved the fact that she called him uncomplicated. He, he was obviously extremely bright. She didn't mean by uncomplicated uh, a simpleton. He was extremely bright, but he had a singular purpose, and she picked up on that in the interview. And if you listen to the interview from the radio program, you could hear this, this singular purpose was remarkable. He speaks unromantically about the mission to the moon. He said the moon was shades of gray and, and we saw rocks and more rocks. And they asked him the question, what was the most interesting thing you saw from the moon? And he said, ironically, the earth. <laughs> that was the best moment of his time in space was he said, I saw coming up over the horizon a ball and blue marble and I could put my fingernail over it and cover it up and he said I looked out at that blue marble and he said I thought everything that I love and care about is on that ball. The, the romance of the mission wasn't what moved him and at the age of 90 he has a singular purpose even today. For the past nine years he's been taking care of his wife with Alzheimer's. She can't speak. She can't feed herself. He said I have a really uncomplicated life. I feed her, I take care of her. It's a beautiful thing. 
I heard that story and I thought about this passage that I was gonna be speaking on today and I, and I literally prayed in my car, Lord, help me to be an uncomplicated Christian. Simple enough to say, I'll run with two words, follow me, to be that singular in purpose. Peter says, what about John? <laughs> Again, you gotta give him grace. John is impossibly awesome in the Gospels, right? He must be annoying to a guy like Peter. Peter looks out, he's like, every time he opens his mouth, he says the wrong thing. John is always leaning against Jesus' breast. You know, John is the disciple that, that Jesus loved, is what everybody calls him, the beloved disciple John, right? John's the one who beat Peter to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. You know, Peter, Peter and John are, are seeing Jesus arrested and carried forward. Peter chickens out and stands there by the fire and denies Christ. John moves in. John's got blood splatter on his face from his proximity to the cross. John was holding Mary when Jesus was dying. John, could you, could you please stop being as awesome as you always are? And now here's Peter walking with Jesus. Jesus tells him you're gonna die and he looks back and there's John again. We can understand this. Jesus doesn't do what we might expect him to do. Jesus, in a way, Jesus could have consoled Peter. You know, Jesus could have said, I don't know if it's a comfort to you, but John's gonna die alone on Patmos in exile. It's not an 18-hole course on Patmos. He's gonna suffer, he's gonna bury all you guys as friends, and he's gonna be the last man standing. How do you, you, wanna, you wanna have that life? That's John's that's John's future. He's gonna write the book of Revelation. Yeah, that's gonna be awesome. That's gonna be incredible. But that is, in time, that's gonna inspire the Left Behind series, right? Which is the low watermark in Christian literary history, right? So, so there's John. That's what breaks open in his fortune cookie. That's where his life is heading, right? Jesus doesn't bring up any of that stuff. He doesn't bring up John's exile, right? He says, what's that to you? In other words, translation, that's none of your business. John will do John. You do you. You follow me. That's all you need to worry about. You follow me. Christian friend, are you following Jesus? Has your ordinary life become an opportunity for extraordinary devotion to Jesus Christ? Or are you, are you stuck in the comparison game? Right, and maybe, maybe you're comparing yourself favorably, like I did to Frank, I'm more awesome than Frank, right? Or maybe, so maybe you're gloating, or maybe there's envy and jealousy. J.C. Ryle said, we're often quick-sighted abroad, but dim-sighted at home. In other words, we're doing everybody else's thinking and everybody else's Christian homework, but our own. So busy writing scenes for your life that I'm missing my own lines. <laughs> I'm missing my own stage cues because I'm busy writing your next scene. And Jesus is saying, put his script away. I've given you one. Follow me. It's an uncomplicated script. Follow me. And Peter's eyes, if you, I think about him this way when I read through the Gospels. Peter's eyes are sort of always darting in all directions. He's just all, so easily distracted by everything else. So earlier in the Gospels, this same Peter, Jesus says, hey, step out of the boat, come in my direction. Yeah, step out, I know it's dangerous, there's danger in all directions, unmanageable danger in all directions. Step out of the boat, come toward me. And Peter steps out of the boat, and what happens? His eyes are on everything else. 
the waves, the surf, the wind, my goodness, he's looking at everything except Jesus. Check him out in John chapter 21, same thing. Jesus is standing here saying, step forward into unmanageable danger, right? And follow me. And Peter can't take his eyes off John. <laughs> Always looking elsewhere. What about John? What's John's story? I want to know the plan for John. Jesus says, don't overcomplicate it. That's none of your business. You follow me. And that, that might be you this morning. Eyes darting in all directions, taking interest in the waves, looking at the waves, looking at other people, comparing your gifts, your calling, your job, your relationship, your hardships. There, there are few things that are more energy depleting than envy. It saps our energy. And friend, you're gonna need all your energy. Why? Because you have an assignment. And your assignment Matters. Matter of fact, there's a sense in which your assignment is the only one that matters to you. You follow me. But Jesus loves us too much to leave us in the death spiral of comparison and envy. Jesus loves us too much to leave us looking downward in fear at the waves, backward in shame, at our denial, forward in worry, at our death, outward in comparison, at John. And here in this passage, Jesus is directing not just Peter, but your gaze. Jesus is saying to Peter, you're looking everywhere. You're looking downward, backward, forward, outward, everywhere, but upward. He says, let me simplify your calling. I'm gonna write down two words on a sheet. I'm gonna send it across the table. Follow me. That's your calling. That's what you do next. The road won't be easy. The call is total loyalty to Jesus. And finally, the promise is he's with you. The promise is he's with you. You think about that call to follow me and what does it imply? It implies something wonderful. It means we get to do this life with Jesus. You're following him, so there's always proximity to Jesus. We're walking after him. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. You think about this. Who wants to line up for this when Jesus says, whoever wants to come after me, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me? Who would possibly sign up for that, for terms like that? And the answer is those whose eyes have been opened to see that losing things with Christ is better than gaining without him. That poverty with Christ is better than riches without him. Shame with Christ is better than honor without him. Dying with Christ is better, far better, Paul says, than living without him. God loves you and he has a deeply, profoundly wonderful plan for your life. And what makes it so wonderful isn't that you get heaven on earth, it's that you get Jesus your life plan isn't gonna give you the things that matter the most. His will, unfailingly, his plan will. Depending on how you, how comfortable or familiar you are with gospel writings, this passage in John 21, it feels like the deja vu kind of experience. So you just think about the broader context of John 21. So Peter and some of the disciples are out fishing in the lake in Galilee and Jesus approaches them and they don't recognize him and then moments later he says, follow me in verse 19 and 22 in our passage. We, we look at those kinds of elements in this text and we think we've seen this before. This feels like deja vu. I've seen this somewhere before 
And where you saw it before is when they all first met on day one. This is how it all started between Jesus and these same guys. It's almost like the man who wants to propose and he takes his girlfriend to their first restaurant, right? And whether she realizes it in that moment or realizes it after the fact, this is the, this is the same restaurant. This was our first date. This is the same table that we sat out on our very first date. We've been here before and something great started right here at this table. Look, all the elements in John 21 are perfect. They've all been providentially chosen. It's the same setting, it's the same lake, it's the same people, it's the same call. Here's the refreshingly uncomplicated, glorious calling of Jesus on your life as a Christian. Every day you wake up, the call is the same as it was on day one. He looks at you today in this room and he says, follow me. When Peter saw John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? If I want him to remain until I come, Jesus answered, what is that to you? As for you, follow me.